1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 17, Peter says, If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We're about to sing the song Glorious, and it starts, no earthly mind would dare invent, a substitute from heaven sent, the lamb, to pay for sin and take the guilt, though innocent, divine blood spilt, the lamb, the lamb of God. It's a thought beyond human invention, God's blood shed for us. And so we respond in the chorus and we sing together, glorious, over us you shall reign, glorious. Let's sing together. It's 
would you please remain standing with me as we read God's word? Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may be seated. I wanted to remind you this morning and to thank you uh, that giving is a, a part of our ongoing worship. So I wanted to thank you for joyfully, sacrificially, and re regularly giving. We can do this either online, in person, in the box at the back of the room, or by mailing checks. This morning, we will be praying for Jenna Weisenberger, who serves in the Middle East and is focusing on making disciples in a very difficult ministry context. Uh, we'll also pray for Felipe and Lethe Sanchez. The Sanchez family are moving to uh, Santa Clarita this week for Felipe's work. They've been an immense blessing to us here at Grace. Felipe serves as one of the deacons here. We'll miss them greatly, but we're excited for their next stage of their life. So would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, you alone are the reason we gather to worship. You caused all things to be created. All events occur unto your perfect will. All creatures breathe life because of your creative ability and your grace. You're eternal, you're unchanging, transcending all time and space, all powerful, all knowing yet completely good and all loving. You authored the plan of our redemption before the world even began. And, and considering this, we cry, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. It's this absolute holiness and perfection that causes us to consider our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. There's no way for us to meet any of these righteous standards on our own, yet we continue in our own pride, living as if we're in, our, in control of our lives, saying things and making decisions that do not honor you. Lord, we are utterly sinful and desperately in need of a Savior. Father, we are like a broken compass that is prone to drift and how quickly we forget your goodness and forget to live by the commands laid out in Scripture. We need constant reminders to reset our compass heading. Forgive us, Lord, and recalibrate our hearts to listen, to obey, to live out your word. May our lives reflect 
the light of the glory of Christ with those whom we come in contact. And thank you for your perfect plan of salvation that has been freely offered to us, yet at great cost, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's by your grace that we have been saved through faith, a gift that you freely give. Thank you for the work of, the, of your Holy Spirit in our lives, leading us to your word for guidance, counsel, and admonition. So Lord, we pray that you would bless this church body, that we would grow in love for you, for one another, and in submission to your word. We also pray for Jenna Weisenberger, that you would strengthen and sustain her as she serves you faithfully, sharing the gospel and making disciples in an area that's hostile to your word. Bless her with a love for you that translates to a love for those whom she is in contact. We also pray for the Sanchez family as they embark on a new chapter in their lives. Please use them for your glory as they transition to a new location and become part of a new church body. Lord, we pray for our local, state, and national leaders that they would lead with wisdom, discernment, and ways that honor you. Change our hearts. Lead us and guide us into your truth, even now as we're getting ready to study your word. May you receive all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if you'd like to stand as we continue to sing, that'd be great. Higher, be lifted. 
lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher.
together, a people redeemed by the blood, bought by the precious blood of Christ. Father, would we see this Jesus, this Redeemer, more clearly than we ever have? Would we love this Jesus? Would you help us, God, as we look at your word, to have minds and hearts that are softened toward truth within? We ask this and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and it tells us that we're saved by God's works for good works. The Christians are saved by God's works for good works. And this is very important for us to grasp today because many people are confused when it comes to understanding the causes and effects of salvation. If you misunderstand God's works, you will misunderstand the place of works in the Christian life. As the old saying goes, the way to show that a stick is crooked is to put a straight one next to it. Well, the straight stick of the word of God exposes a crooked thinking about salvation. The idea is that we are saved by God's works, not our works, for good works. That's what this passage tells us today. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've been with us as we've been going through Ephesians these months, what you'll notice is that we have been drenched in gospel truth about salvation. That Ephesians chapter 1 highlights the doctrines of God's grace in Christ, how God selects and saves and preserves believers, chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined to adoption for an inheritance, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then you get into chapter 2, and it's giving more details about this salvation. It starts off in the first three verses with 
some pre-conversion realities for believers that you were dead in your sin and deceived in your sin and delighting in your sin and even doomed sons of disobedience, children of wrath. But God decreed to bring you from death to life. That while we were dead, he by himself, without any help from us, made us alive. God's power, really, in in operation toward all who were dead in trespasses and sins, uh, deserving nothing but wrath. What you'll notice, if you're a Christian today, you you will notice as you go through Ephesians 1 and then into chapter 2, God was operating on you before you believed. And in verses 5 to 7, we saw this, that his grace in Christ just shapes our life, it shapes our hope. That we see our perfect union with Christ, that the Christian was made alive and raised and seated with Christ. We're recipients of mercy and just drenched by God's great love and rich grace and his kindness. We are even trophies of God's grace. We see in these verses that we've seen already that God is putting on his, his grace on permanent display. That the depths of the immeasurable grace is on display now and forever. That he displays his grace as he he saves us in Christ, but he is going to display it in increasingly greater magnitude as as the days go by. Uh, He's going to make his, his gracious plan even more evident. There is this immeasurable display progressively of his glory. You don't have to wonder, what am I going to do in heaven? God is going to display his grace to deeper and deeper levels as as the ages go by. But to make God's gracious plan even even more evident, uh, in case you've been with us this whole time, and you, 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 you say, you know, I still don't get it. What's this thing about salvation? You've been all through chapter one with us. You've been into half of chapter two, and you're still like, so what exactly are we talking about? If that's the case for you, to, to make God's gracious plan even more evident, there is this summary-style statement in verses 8 to 10. It's very well-known, and it's, it is a summary-style statement. And it really irons out any confusion. So even if you've just landed here today and you're like, this is my first time here, don't, don't expect too much of me, this will be very clear. Because it is very clear. The idea is this. Christians are saved by God's works for good works. Christians are saved by God's works for good works. Saved by grace through faith, by God's works, not your works, to glorify God through good works. This is what you must believe and live regarding salvation. And to make it very simple, we have three salvation truths just to straighten out any misunderstanding of salvation. Three salvation truths embedded in these verses, and and they're very clear. And the first one is this. Christians are saved by God's grace through faith. We see it in verse 8. Saved by God's works. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's repeating what was said in verse 5. The foundational importance of grace is is demanding further explanation, hence verses 8 and 9. 
For by grace. Let's just break it down. For by grace. So grace saves. It's, it, by the way, in the Greek, it's near the front of the sentence. It's got a special emphasis. It's typical many times for people who want to define God's grace. What does it mean? What, what is God's grace? And they want to make a definition. Well, it's very typical to define God's grace as God's undeserved favor. You might even make it into an acrostic, uh, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. But this is not the full idea of God's grace. God's grace is God's favor granted to those who deserve wrath. They, you deserve his wrath, and he's going to give you favor. So it's not just undeserved. It's as if you were somehow neutral, like, yeah, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you, but you're fine. This is an act of immense favor bestowed on those under God's just condemnation as guilty sinners. So a better way to say it is this. It's God's favor despite human unworthiness. Despite our unworthiness. For, for by grace you have been saved. All God's work. Salvation is a gift of God. So God is is uh, in the Greek, right before the word gift. The emphasis is on God. It, salvation is from God. Uh, and and in, in those days, for those who first got this letter, the, the word save and savior or benefactor would have been very familiar. That They, they were, were seeing this word all the time. It, it appeared on an important statue that was honoring Julius Caesar. It said this, all cities... You need to honor Gaius Julius Caesar, son of Gaius, the high priest, manifest God, sprung from Eras and Aphrodite, and universal savior of human life. They were worshiping him as their God and savior. Salvation by Caesar was from things like the confiscation of Ephesian treasures in the Civil War and things like that. But the salvation described in verses 4 to 7 and now summarized in verses 8 and 9 is entirely from God's initiative. It is entirely a, a, a free gift, completely a free gift. It's an act of grace. And, and to understand that, you have to, you have to understand mankind's total depravity, mankind's sinful depravity. You have to understand your utter inability to do good. You have to understand that God is holy and just, and he must punish sin. You have to understand that, that your evil condemns you, and you fool yourself if you think, I can work this out. I can fix this. I can fix my relationship with God. So you try really hard to be good. Or you try really hard to do the right thing. You're like Ezekiel 37, Valley of Dry Bones. Only God can bring the dead to life. And Colossians 2 tells us, to believers, you were dead in your trespasses. Couldn't do a thing. And God made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your transgresses and trespasses and transgressions by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The precious blood of Christ paid for our sins. But if you're a Christian today, you have to know you were totally dead in sin. You were unable to believe in Jesus until God opened your heart to the gospel. That only God saves. That in sovereign freedom, he saves whomever he wills to save. 
and that the grace of God is in love freely shown to guilty sinners who deserve only death is what you got. You got grace unearned and undeserved. That grace is the cause and salvation is the effect. If you get this wrong, you're going to start thinking that somehow you brought something to the table, that you contributed something. This tells us by grace we are saved. Grace is the, is the basis of being forgiven for your sins and justified and declared not guilty before a holy God. This, this is in Christ, and Ephesians 1.7 told us, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's all by grace. God's grace is what saves you. And it, it even if you're a believer today, it guarantees that he's going to preserve you. He's going to keep you. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to say, well, you know, you stepped out of line. You're, you're, you're done. You're through. You, you've got to start again. You've got to go back. You've got to come through this faith again. No. When we talk about our union with Christ, and we saw it in verses 4 to 7, even our eternal dwelling in Christ, even our, our existence as a believer, it's entirely the product of grace. If someone told you otherwise, they told you lies. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. Through faith. God in grace saves you through the instrumentality of faith. That faith is the instrument by which you come to Christ. That, and faith is not a work. God gives you faith to believe and be saved. We do nothing. Faith is a gift from God. It's granted. That's why Jesus is called in Hebrews the author and perfecter of faith. He made it up and he continues it on and he, and he takes it to completion. This is why 2 Peter 1 says it's written to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've obtained this faith. You didn't already have it. Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you, given to you, for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That it was granted that you believe. It was given to you to believe, and then you will suffer for his sake. This is why the reformers said salvation is sola gratia and sola fide. By grace alone, through faith alone. We contribute nothing. You don't bring anything to the table. Romans 3 tells us this. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forth as a propitiation. Literally a mercy seat sacrifice. Appeasing the wrath of God. He put him forth as a propitiation by his blood. Precious blood was shed for our salvation. We didn't shed the blood. You know, Jonathan Edwards put it this way. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. It's received by faith, which is a gift from God. 1 Peter 1.5, you're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, that there is no meritorious effort. There is no effort involved. God owed you nothing by grace through faith. It, it's the channel through which salvation comes. 
Faith is not your positive work. Faith is not your accomplishment. In fact, you see in Acts 18, 27, you see Apollos. Uh, it was said that he helped those who had believed through grace. Because grace is, is, is giving the gift of faith. He helped those who had believed through grace. Christians are saved by God's grace through faith. You put it this way. Jesus makes his enemies his friends. Now, a lot of people, they just want to, you know, plan evil deeds against their enemies or stay as far away from them as they can. Jesus made his enemies his friends. He did it. It was his choice. He regenerated you and I, if you're a believer, and justified you out of sheer grace, unmerited, unasked for. This is, this is one-sided salvation. This is God doing the work. This is monergistic, the work of one. And we should want it no other way because if it was our work, we would fumble the ball. If it was our work, we would lose it. I've said it before, but we can't even find our keys. We don't know where our phone is. Where's my wallet? I mean, come on. And we think somehow we can just, you know, figure out the whole salvation thing and do it on our own? This is, it's, it's like in 2 Samuel 9, David shows extraordinary kindness, lavishing grace upon Jonathan's, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was unworthy and unable to come. And Mephibosheth's response was, why would you show regard to a dead dog like me? This is what the believer thinks. Why, why would God save me? Spiritually stuck in a world of death, like Lazarus. The only way out is Jesus. When you're, the, the unregenerate are, are drawn by the Father, are, are given new life because of mercy and grace. And you know, even... Even when you see a human display of mercy and grace, it merely reflects God's grace. It, it's a mere shadow of it. Back in the late 1998, I think, 1999, I can't remember what year it was, but we were in the middle of a remodel. It was when either when our, I think our fourth child was being born, and um, maybe it was 2000. Um, but we had a remodel go, go wrong. Uh, the, uh, the contractor ripped us off, took a bunch of money, uh, and left the job. We had a gaping hole in our, in our ceiling in the living room. We had six-foot-deep holes in, our, in two or three different places in the house. It was, it was a mess. And I didn't know what to do, and, and it, word got out to a friend of mine, and a friend of mine says, I need you to meet me at my house uh, at 1 o'clock tomorrow actually meet me at a friend's house at one o'clock tomorrow. And I get there, and, and the friend is there, and this friend is a high-end contractor. In fact, uh, the friend that set up the meeting, he, he gets us all in this room, and, and the contractor says to me, why didn't you hire me in the first place? I said, I couldn't afford you. They said, well, what were you going to pay? And, and uh, I told them, and then when they picked themselves off the floor after laughing so hard that I was going to pay such a little price for what we were doing, uh, they look at each other and they start asking questions. And my friend who set the meeting up says this to the contractor. Um, I've got the rest. I'm paying the rest of the job. 
which was probably three times more than, than what I was originally going to pay. And he never said another word about it to me, never a word. We were at the same church at the time. We were friends. Never a moment when he made me think, you owe me something. I did something for you. And it's interesting because when, when that kind of thing happens to you, there is this appropriate awe of their kindness because it was an extreme bailout, far more than we could ever accomplish. But then you think of that, the mercy of God, and, and, it, and it does reflect it in my heart, and I, it reflected it to me. And I thought, but God's mercy is more. Grace unmeasured, vast and free. And before, before God, every act of creation is finding occasion for silence before its creator, just waiting on him for life. I mean, if you're going to have grace, it's because God gives it to you. But Jesus invites you to come to him. He says in Matthew, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a, it's a merciful invitation. It's, it's gracious. Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus saying in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, points us to his, his mercy and his grace and the fact that the salvation he gives is a gift and it can't be earned. That your moral efforts, your, your religious activity cannot earn it. And, and you're not smarter or prettier or more gifted. It's not the case. And today, if you don't believe in Jesus, you know, you have, to, you have to think about what you're hearing. So that if you don't believe in Jesus, in, in view of your sinful condition, apart from God, and you're under his wrath, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. It's interesting that in the book of Acts, when they're preaching the gospel, Sometimes they'll say, believe in Jesus and be saved. Sometimes you'll hear, repent and believe. Sometimes you'll just hear, repent. And every time you see, just repent, it implies believing. Every time you see, just believe, it implies repenting. It's not all these different gospels out there. It's, no, you believe in the Lord Jesus. You, you trust in him. You, you repent of your sins. You, you turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and you'll be saved. We're saved by God's grace through faith. It's all a gift from God. It is all God's work. That's the first thing we see in this passage. You see it so clearly in the first part of verse 8. But it's been drenched in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The second thing is that Christians are saved by God's gift, not their works. Like double down on it so in case you misunderstood it. You're saved by God's works, not your works. It's like, let's fence it in. Let's paint ourselves into the corner. God put, paints us in this, in this beautiful corner. He says in verse 8, this is not your doing. This is not your own doing. It doesn't originate from you. You didn't pay part of it. It is the gift of God. Even in the Greek, the emphasis is on the first word. The first word in the Greek is God points to the source. It's from God. The gift comes from God. This not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's it? What, what is it? it is, what's, the, what's the gift? Is it grace? Is it, is it being saved? Is it, is it faith? When you look at the Greek grammar, it indicates that all of salvation is a gift. 
You know, that in, in, often in Greek, events as a whole are grouped together. This is referring to the whole statement, by grace you have been saved through faith. The whole event, saved by grace through faith. That gift refers to the whole concept of salvation. The, the, the saving, the grace, the faith, all from God. God's act of granting salvation is an undeserved gift. And, and grace is a gift, and faith is a gift, and being saved is a gift. And they're all God's works. It takes you from start to finish in the Christian life. All the components of the event originate not from human acts or efforts, but God, God's gift. The gift of salvation has its origin in God. Its basis is grace. It is received by the gift of faith. And it's not a result of works, not yours. Nothing you do to have faith or be saved. It's, it's not from works at all. This is why Jesus is spoken of as the author and perfecter of faith. He is the architect. He is the builder. He is the maker. He is the originator. Salvation is not this you know, transaction where, where God provides grace and, and you provide faith. This is not some transactional thing. You know, I used to think, before I was a Christian, I used to think I could be good. But I couldn't. I would try really hard to be good. It would last like 10 seconds. It's all by grace. It's all by God's works. Like, like you, if you're a Christian today, you were dead spiritually, and you had to be awakened to believe. You can't take any credit for it. You can't say, well, no, no, I, I, was, I was near the front of the class. You can't do it. You can't say, but yeah, but, but you know, I had a lot of good works. Can't go there. Works implies human effort using human resources. That is of no value of getting any standing with God. Not getting there. Doesn't matter how much money you, you gave. Doesn't matter how many good things you think you did. Romans 11 says it very clearly. If, if, it, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Don't make grace something it's not. Galatians 2.16 says, A person is not justified by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't get clearer than that, folks. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is the truth for a believer. John 6, verse 29. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God. God's work. So that no one may boast. You can't go bragging around and saying, look what I got. You know, back in Ephesus in that day, they had a lot of buildings with notices painted on them. There were boasts. They were boasts of the lavish deeds of all their benefactors. This person did this for us. This person did that for us. This person bought this for us. This person won that for us. 
And here we're saying there's no basis for boasting. There's no room for boasting. And by the way, if you contributed anything to your salvation, there would be room for boasting. You could claim that God had to reward you for your efforts. Boasting gets a lot of attention in the New Testament, actually. And it makes it clear to us this. You can boast in the Lord. You must boast in the Lord, like in the cross of Christ. But you cannot boast before God. You cannot do it. The prideful heart boasts before God. And it's under his just wrath. You can boast in the Lord, but not before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us this. God chose what is despised in the world so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And he says to believers, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is what you need to get right. If you're shaky on this, you'll be shaky on what's the part of good works in the life of a Christian. The work of salvation belongs completely to God who grants it as a free gift, not on the basis of human effort. You have to get it clear. You don't offer your faith. You are given faith. And it's all due to the overwhelmingly gracious nature of God. You need to understand this. You need to understand that your justification, believer, is 100% God's doing, no contribution from you, or if, if you think otherwise, God is not going to receive the praise from you that he should because you'll always be patting yourself on the back. You'll always be thinking God owes you something. You'll always be thinking you're better than other people. You have to understand this, that God will not receive from you the glory that is rightfully his. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. Christians are saved through God's gift, not their works. But all of salvation is a gift from God. Nothing we do, nothing we earn, no boasting in self, only praising God. I mean, if you think otherwise, think of this, think of it this way. What do you actually think you could do? Like, what do you actually think you could do? I remember when I was in high school, I was running track, and my race was the 880, 880 yards. My best time ever was two minutes and one second. I couldn't crack two minutes. I would walk through the room at the high school that shows all the track records, and there was a guy that ran 156, and I wanted to beat that so badly. Problem was, I couldn't. And most of all, because I wasn't committed enough to running, but even then, I'm not sure I could have shaved off five more seconds. I was giving it everything I had every time I ran. And I had to realize my best wasn't good enough. I had to, I had to live with a 201. You don't know how bad I wanted one minute and 59 at least. If salvation is by grace and you realize you can't do it, and you're not smart enough, you're not good-looking enough, you're not wise enough, you're not, you can't do it. The Bible paints you into that corner. Not of works, lest anyone boast. The question has to be, are you trusting Christ, or are you trusting you? Like right now, are you trusting Christ for your salvation, or are you trusting you? Do you somehow think that there's some other program out there that God has just for special little you. If you're saved, give all the glory to God. 
Every shred of credit, every ounce of praise, give it to God. Give it to God. Thank him for his gift of eternal life. The, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I see some of you smiling because you know that's so true. And you know your life is built on it and you're banking on it. And this is your hope in Christ. Christians are saved by God's grace through faith. Saved by God's works. And then we see that Christians are saved by God's gift. Not our works. But the third point, and this is where you have to get the first two right so you can actually understand the third. Christians are saved for good works for God's glory. Look at verse 10. I mean, you're going to find out. God, God's not opposed to good deeds. In fact, they are going to flow from a renewed heart as a result of God's rescue from bondage to sin through Christ's sacrifice. Look at verse 10. For we... Collectively, all Christians, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. His workmanship. His handiwork. The, the word there can, can refer to a work of art. Or statue. Or song. Or architecture or a painting. It especially refers to a, a poem that is produced. The, the Greek word is poema. We get our word poem from the word. It's the creative work of God. And we are, Christians are, collectively the product of God's creative work that, that all believers are miraculously remade by God. This, this is God's new creation in Christ. You notice it says we were created in Christ Jesus? The emphasis is on God's new creation. In Christ. We are his new creation in Christ, brothers and sisters. We are the product of God's act of new creation in Christ. And it won't happen apart from Christ. John Calvin put it this way, we must expect no grace, no love from God except through Christ's mediation. We are God's work created in Christ for God's purpose. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things have come. And, and by the way, the new creation theme will continue in chapter 2. It will reappear in chapter 4. Verse 24 of, of chapter 4. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, think about what we've seen. Human hopelessness outside of Christ. It was, it was described in the first three verses in this chapter. It's redeemed in the life of a believer. We are God's new creation. God's work created for good works. And I hope you notice the wordplay. There is, there is some, some good wordplay going on here. Believers are God's work created for good works. God's work created for good works. The 100% gracious nature of salvation, the fact that it's a 100% gift, does not make you passive. New creatures do what God designed and recreated them to do. I mean, this is not just a spiritual issue. This is an ethical issue. 
This is actually an ethical issue, that the new creation must live a new life, must necessarily live a new life. That salvation's gracious nature implies you doing good as a result, not evil, good. This is the contrast from what you once were and who you now are, that we're not to walk in sin, we're not to live in sin, but we're to walk and live in good works that God intended for us to do, that God planned for us to do. God res- if God rescued you from your desperation and recreated you, he sets you on a new path, and you're supposed to do good deeds in God, in Christ. Stephen Charnock once said this, all of our works before repentance are dead works. Hebrews 6.1, turn from dead works to serve the living God. He said there's no true beauty in them no matter how they appear. No matter how good they look, there's no true beauty in them. We're talking about good deeds done in God. The, the gratitude for salvation evidenced or shown in Holy Spirit-inspired good works. You offer to God as worship. Not to earn anything. That's impossible. But to praise the glories of his grace. You'll notice these good works were prepared beforehand by God. Before the foundation of the world, before the world began, before we knew, before we ever had a thought or motive to do good, God prepared beforehand. And by the way, prep happens beforehand. You got food prep, site prep. You're not prepping after. You're prepping before. And, and you, you, what, you can, what you can recognize is your good works are not optional and they are not accidental. But the, this is the outcome of, of election to holiness and blamelessness that we saw in, in chapter 1. These good works are for us to walk in them. It says that we should walk in them, literally to live. It's the pattern of your life such that you're, you're exemplified by good works. That literally, it says that we should start walking. We should start living. That you formerly lived in transgressions and sins, now in newness of life, now a new creation, now doing good works that God set up for you long ago. Praise God. The case is made. Salvation is by grace, not works. But it does not mean that the believer has no responsibility, that they can just live however they want. No. Sanctification demands action. James put it very succinctly in James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. We're We're not saved by faith plus works. But faith that works, living, functioning, operating faith. The reformers used to say it this way, faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. And if you wonder, like, well, well like, what, sh- what should I do? Well, I've got good news for you. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians are filled with good works to embrace as well as evil deeds to reject. By the way, you can't say, oh, I'm a Christian and live any way you want. And everyone goes, well, that person doesn't look like a Christian at all. I'm not pointing at you, by the way. <laughs> you, you, or you, any of you. Just I'm not pointing at any of you. Here, go, turn over to Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians 5. Just in case you wonder. Just in case you think there's, you know, maybe a, I don't know, a, a loophole. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. 
Like literally, live lovingly as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. What it means is that your whole life cannot be that way. You must be repenting of your sins. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. You notice, not proper among the saints, out of place. Like, here's the lane. No, that's out. You swerved out of the lane. But instead, there should be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is in the same letter, folks. This is in the same letter. That if you're living this way with absolutely no desire to do anything different and no repentance, you are not a Christian. You told yourself a lie. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then do whatever you want outside of the bounds of Scripture. No. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. New creatures empowered by the one who can do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. Philippians tells us, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. By the way, this isn't legalism. This is life in Christ. This is life in Christ. You're not going to be saved by your good deeds, but you won't be saved without them. You won't be saved by your good deeds, but you won't be saved without good deeds. Whatever is true, as Philippians 4 says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You'll have assurance. Others will see your good works. You can't hide the good works. Others will see your good works as you live. Not to put you on a pedestal, not to give you trophies, but, but fellow believers will notice. Titus 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. And unbelievers will notice. Titus 2, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So an opponent may be put to shame, nothing evil to say about us. Your good works won't always be received. You may receive cursing for them. You may receive rejection for them. You may receive other persecution for them. First Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among them honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Literally, that they would glorify God by believing and repenting of their own sins. I mean, you're saved for good works, believer, for God's glory. 
for God's glory, that God's motive in saving you was to display his glory now and forever. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Those who are saved are, are literally loving displays of God's glorious grace. And the sanctification that your life as as God progressively conforms you to Christ and frees you from sin, will be put on display as a trophy of God's grace. I mean, what, what good work do you want to do? Sky's the limit. What, what good work do you want to do? You know, how might you conspire to bless others? How might you conspire to, to do good? I mean, if you have apples or limes on a tree, that's not the tree's cause. That's the fruit of it. And good works are not the cause of your salvation, but the fruit of it. Faith is the root, good works the fruit. Of what? Of God's work in and through you and your redeemed, restored, renewed life. Thomas Watson said this, faith is full of good works. It believes as if it did not work. It works as if it did not believe. Faith justifies a person. Works justify faith. If you have new life granted to you, Good works is the proof of your life. We should be asking, where's the fruit? Because if you have eternal security, it will drive ministry. Eternal security drives ministry. You're saved for good works. You don't remain unchanged. If you're a Christian, you're laid low in the dust at the foot of the cross, and you praise God for taking you out of the ash heap and out of the prison of sin and setting your feet on the rock and you say, wow, amazing grace in which I stand. Otherwise, I'd be a goner. But God, rich in mercy, deserves all the praise. Praise him. Praise him with your lips, but praise him with your life. Your life speaks louder than your lips. What you actually do speaks louder than what you say. So find the good to do and keep doing it as God gives you the strength you need. Now, how do you know if you're doing a good work? How do you know if it's good? Well, I think the first rule would be you're not trying to make yourself look great. You're not trying to make yourself famous. You, you want Jesus to be praised. You're seeking his glory. You're seeking the salvation of souls. You're seeking to serve his purposes. You, you want his will to be done. Like consider what great things God has done for your soul, how he has changed your life, and then walk in repentance and above all, love Jesus. He loves you with love incorruptible, so you love him with love incorruptible. Love the last words of Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 24. Grace be to all those who love the Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible. You love him because he first loved you. So you can live unhindered. You can live without straining and forcing everything. You can live joyfully. Even as, even as you buffet your body and make it your slave and as you serve with every ounce of energy that the Lord gives you, good works, some of them will be unseen, only seen by God. Others hidden to most people, some quite public, but anything you do out of love for Jesus and the good of others could be a prayer, could be an apology, could be showing compassion, could be reciting scripture, could be singing praises to God, could be proclaiming the truth, could be helping someone to understand the Bible, 
could be helping a new believer grow in the faith or mentoring someone or receiving wise counsel or even being mentored. And there is so much more. The sky's the limit. Titus 3.1 says, be ready for every good work. How do you know? How do you know if you're ready for every good work? Well, you rejoice in every glimpse of good and recognize gospel glory wherever it exists. You reject every evil way and repent of any inclination that, that to what is not good. Do you even remind yourself and your friends that God is all good and will judge all evil in his time? That you recall his sovereign mercy and his generous grace that gives you eternal comfort? That, that you would rejoice in in the advancement of Christ's kingdom whenever and wherever it is evident, that you would be ready for every good work, that you would push pride far from your heart and, and just your, your repentance grips your heart to allow you to see how needy you are of grace, that when you know that you deserve the lowest spot in hell, you're ready for every good work and, and contempt for other people just flees away. You delight in sovereign grace. It takes center stage, Christ preeminent in your heart. And it's like you're saying with your life, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Next week, I want us to take a deeper dive into verse 10. What does a person who knows the heart of verse 10 desire and do? But we're saved by God's works for good works. Your salvation, believer, was the work of God, so you cannot boast, and you must do good works. As the Lord fulfills every desire for good, the work of faith with power, and even while you navigate fragments of your old life, when, when your soul is just longing for freedom in the next life, I think it could be accurately said that the first good work of a new creation when you experience regeneration, when you are granted repentance, is, is professing Christ as Lord and being baptized in obedience to him as you're brought into the fellowship of a local assembly. And I think it could be said that the last good work could be on your deathbed, saying, take me home, Jesus. Ten days before she died in 2022, Nancy Alcorn said to her husband, Randy, Thank you for my life. Through tears, he said, thank you for mine. A few days later, she's weary of the struggle. She squeezes his hand and says, Randy, please take me home. And he said, if I could, I would right now. And I would never come back to this world the way it is. My friends, God has promised that we will come back to this world, just not the way it is now. He's going to bring us to a new heavens and new earth. He'll bring us to this new earth, a resurrected planet with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more weeping, and it's going to have all the good things and none of the bad. But what you need to know right now is every good thing that you do here is merely a reflection of a good God who is preparing a good place for us. So let the good works remind you that there is a good home waiting for us one day. And Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you for Christ's good work. 
Lord, we, we ask that you would display your glorious good work in and through our lives as we do gospel good works that you prepared beforehand for us to do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we close?
death. Life is mine to live. Walk through yourselfless love. This the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. What a love! What a cost we stand forgiven. the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost we stand forgiven at the Just a couple announcements before we go, and then we're going to be praying for this young man as our new pastoral intern. And any pastors and elders in the service, come on up as we pray for Sam, Sam Johnson. Uh, we're doing Believer's Baptism today right immediately after third hour, hopefully 1215. Uh, Jesus instructs believers to obediently identify with him and the church in public declaration of faith. Uh, it'll be followed by some lunch uh, on the plaza. We have a quarterly men's event uh, this coming Saturday. Men come for preaching, fellowship, and sports tournaments. Also, Grace Orange Academy is starting to help parents in, in training their children. We'll be doing um, theological training for kids starting this fall, and there'll be a Q&A night on June 28th. So we're praying for Sam Johnson here. This young man is going to be is already our new uh, pastoral intern. He started on June 1st, started on Thursday. And uh, we've had the privilege over the years to, uh, to train up uh, many young men in ministry. And he'll be starting seminary at the Master's Seminary in, at the end of July. He's also getting married to Lindsay in July. And so he's got a lot going on and he's diving in with us here too. So let's pray for him as, as, we, uh, as we commission him to this ministry. Lord, we thank you and praise you for life and eternal life. And thank you for your grace to us in giving us opportunities to serve uh, thank you for Sam Johnson. Thank you for his life among us. Thank you for his testimony of faith. Thank you for his desire to serve you. Pray that you would lead and guide and protect and provide as he serves, as he gets married uh, this summer and next month, and as he uh, dives in with us in ministry, uh, as you enable and as you um, strengthen him to do uh, all that you intend for him to do. We thank you and we praise you and commit him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we close, hear the words of 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. All right, God bless you. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, 